Ford K9 LLC. Are you looking for a handler school, trainer school, or attend one of our one-week development courses for dogs, handlers, or trainers? Are you in one of the various detection dog scent sports doing nose work or scent work? We have classes and seminars for you as well. We offer trainer classes as well as seminars for many of you handlers. Ford K9 is not just in Vegas, but we can come to you with many of our seminars like K9 Cognition, Detection Using Cognition, The Trust Momentum, and many more. Ford K9 also offers fully trained detection dogs. Contact us. We have access to a variety of breeds of dogs that Cameron custom trains to meet your detection needs. All dogs come with a handler school when you pick up your canine as well. For more information, go visit our website, www.fordcanine.com. Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City at the Ford Canine Training Center in Las Vegas, here's your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this next episode of Canine's Talking Sense. On this episode, I get to interview a friend of mine. Uh, he and I first came in contact with each other via the internet and through an article I wrote in uh, Police Canine Magazine. I think it was back in 2012, and we immediately hit it off talking about the use of markers in training and using a bridge, um, and had a great dialogue and great discussion, and from then just kind of sporadically stayed in contact with each other until I found my way out in Vegas, and he and I began talking more, and I started getting dogs from him, and so with that said, we actually had one of his... uh, uh, employees on our podcast earlier, Natalie Von Helmond. And uh, so now it's time to bring on Wesley Visser. Wesley, welcome to the show. Cameron, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those that um, obviously, you know, there's there's some of the dog community that know you and some that don't. So just give us a little background about you and how you got into detection dogs and what's some of your primary focus now when it comes to detection dogs? Okay, no, I start, um, I'm still young, but I start really young. Um, uh, and I was selected by the um, Explosive Detection Dogs Unit on the airport of Schiphol Airport. Um, yeah, we're training uh, in the beginning. I was training dogs, uh, getting ready for certification. And then I worked like for five years, uh, especially uh, with Explosive Dog and Narcotics Dog. We do like um, uh, area search, cargo screening, screening people with narcotic dogs, but also like with uh, explosive dogs. Um, Then, um, yeah, the last two years from uh, that work, I was being uh, a senior handler. So I got uh, in charge of a a couple of people to help them with training and operational work. Uh, At that time, uh, it was also interesting because the cargo screening was just new. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot during the cargo screening about holding your dog, um, keep working and operational when uh, the operational work become a little bit the same, same concept, same screening, a lot of cargo. So I learned a lot about uh, reward systems at that time. And then uh, I was uploading videos from puppies where I train. And then, um, yeah, Jeff Shetler uh, invited me 
to come over and start working there for three months. So I learned a lot uh, from his uh, tactical tracking classes, uh, uh, what's happening in um, Edisto Island, mm -hmm. uh, South Carolina. So, um, yeah, and then I was, after three months, I was thinking, okay, I'm going home. And then I start my own company, like Sentry Print for Dogs. The goal was to train dogs, but I only want to know uh, where my dogs are ending. So that means, like, I uh, we don't ship them out like um, uh, as um, FedEx yeah. <laughs> shipments. Not like a bunch but of chickens. Just like, yeah, 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 the same. But really, like, we train them for months, and I like to sell them to you, so I know the training will be good because you know the same like me. I can train really good dog but uh if it ends up with the wrong people they don't know what to uh, what they're going to do mm -hmm. uh, yeah they can mess up your training like really fast in a couple of weeks so that was like in a short time uh yeah what i do <laughs> yep no and and what i you know like we said is uh you know we found each other through the discussion of progression of detection dog training pushing ourselves uh further in versus doing this standard typical detection dog training and talk a little bit about your let's say evolution in your detection dog work going from like what you learned initially to where you got to now and how you started implementing the use of a bridge or marker to enhance your detection and why you went that way and because I know you and I know you still do both, you do direct and indirect reward. Talk about why you you use both and what the value is to you when you do that. So, yeah, I remember um, when I was working um, uh, at the airport, uh, we, we normal get like a green dog to train. So, uh, yeah, at that time, I only reward um, throwing the ball at shorts or like... Um, making the swords important and throw outside uh, from outside the swords. So uh, we did that. Uh, but then I was start then I was starting to train puppies. Uh, with puppies, they have like really short um, focus and I cannot expect too much in the beginning from them. So I was like, okay, uh, then I see uh, I was looking to learn more. So I go more to um, where they train dolphins, for example, or how they train zoo animals. I even train my goldfish, um, and I'm, I'm serious. When I drop a ball uh, inside of the aquarium, he was really um, with his nose, and he put it like in a in a in a in an uh, how you say it in English um, in the in the goal. Okay. So I really I really train it with a target, and I always make a joke. Yeah, I, le I learn more from uh, that fish than uh, a couple of instructors in the past <laughs> from me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i was looking for something okay what's the power of the marker and then i see the power of the marker with the clicker and especially with uh with a, with a dog that just started and puppies i can shape really a uh, behavior because normal with uh, detection dogs the shit is the most important thing so i know there's systems that you can do it with negative reinforcements like punishment but also like positive but if you make the shit so important yeah, some dogs starting to say, okay, uh, my handlers become a little bit nervous. I become a little bit nervous. And you see a lot of false indication. Mm -hmm. So then I start to train uh, when the dog takes the scent and you see the emotion from the dog. That means like you see the nose is changing. So like when he hit the odor, when he hit the odor for the first time mm -hmm. and um, his tails is changing, his ears. And 
on that body change of behavior, I use the marker a lot with young dogs. And there you see, like, when you're imprinting, um, nothing is stronger to train that on an emotion and not always on the sit, for example. So I, so I shape uh, a dog to freeze or a point or a perfect sit. Mm-hmm. So I go for a natural way. And uh, then I was reading your article like years ago in a mm-hmm. uh, policeman magazine. And at that time, I traveled a couple of times to America, but I don't see any people that uh, use a marker at that time. Yeah. And then I see a pointer from you. Yep. I was like, whoa, we got the same, <laughs> uh, we got the same, um, yeah, uh, things going on for Lego. We got the same feelings about that. Yeah. And then I remember we were chatting about, uh, and then you say, yeah, did you got a special contract with the military? So you go off a little bit off the radar mm-hmm. and then you, uh, you come back and you text me, Wes, I'm back. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I say, welcome back. Yeah. So I, I, I was like, whoa, yeah, we, we, yeah, we really think the same. So that was, uh, for me, uh, really an eye opener when I see your article, I think, whoa, yeah. Yeah, I need to uh, invest in more and study more about this. So now I train more than 50 puppies to operational dogs. And uh, I still use the marker, but I also train the dogs that the indication is so strong that uh, it doesn't matter. He don't look at me from, hey, are you throwing the ball? Are you using a marker after a couple seconds? I change it up all the time. So they don't know what is coming and they stay looking at the scent way more than I using one system. So, uh, and I, and to be honest, I, I train it also so really good. So, because some of the police canine handlers world, uh, they don't know the power of the clicker. So when I say he's clicker trained, they think, oh, oh, oh yeah, we don't use a clicker because they don't know how to use a clicker. Yeah. So I make sure the indication is strong enough. Yeah, no. And, and like you and I have had these conversations, it's, it's really, I like the word you use when the dog comes into odor, you call it like an emotional response. And that's a great way to describe it because as they hit the odor, their body changes and does the things that you described, the ears, the nose, the tail. And with that marker, you're able to really specifically target that behavior and that reaction at that point better than you can trying to get a ball there. And then as you talk about, once you have that solid uh, understanding that the term I use is odor pays. So when they realize odor pays and it's paced through that mark, you then begin to vary that up by also uh, offering the reward to come in, you know, typically overhead or uh, in in the direct way. So that way they also can maintain a focus. And, you know, one of the things I talk about often is uh, very skilled trainers such as yourself and some of the other ones I know. Uh, I got some good friends down in Florida. They work for my friend Bill. And they are excellent at, you know, delivering a reward in a direct way. The hard part is people like yourself and like them and others who are really, really good at uh, doing the direct reward is you guys know how to avoid the issues that typically fall on new handlers, which is, you know, getting caught going for their reward item before they reward so then then you get the dog who then has that suspicious behavior of like oh i know what you're about ready to do you're walking behind me oh, yeah, i saw yeah. your hand Chips. go <laughs> and then it, it unravels and just like you said a few minutes ago that great training that you did uh begins to fall apart because the dog starts going oh this is the easy way i just look at you you will tell me through your body language handler 
when I might be right. Or when that dog's smelling something of interest or just something strong, the handler, if they don't know where that odor's at, begins to give those indicating behaviors, the antecedent behaviors, and the dog goes, oh, yes, I know what's next. So you really want, just like you said a second ago, you want me to sit. You want me to indicate. And when they do, the handler, you know, through those body language cues, in a way, creates that reinforcement cycle that they might be right. So for me, you know, as we've had these conversations before, I typically avoid that only because I know with a a new handler, if I can teach them the timing, and you called me out on the fact that he's like, hey, Cameron, your, your timing is sometimes too good. You know, you're it, just like you with your and others, you're really good at the ball delivery. Sometimes I'm almost too good with my my mark, and uh, sometimes it's too fast, and, or sometimes you know I can get away because I know right when to to mark, just like you guys know right when to throw a toy in and not get caught. So both sides have a little bit when I, but for me, when reviewing it, I look at there's less pitfalls for the newer handler if they're willing to, of course proceed with the the bridge marker system and of course clients that I do I work with or of course already bought into it and they're and they're going to do it so I'm able to work with them and and maintain that so you know as we all say in the dog world there's many roads that lead to Damascus or there's more ways to skin a cat kind of thing and I think both have value for sure I just choose it because when working with so many new handlers it it has typically the least amount of issues there's once the dog is good on a mark, they're not really looking to the handler because they know the only pathway to reward is to find odor, hear the signal, and then get the reward. Um, where the other one, to me, requires the handler to have some pretty good skill. Yeah, 100% agree with that. What I say to you, hey, you're, you're too good at it, or your pattern is the same. Yeah. That was the same thing what happens with me, for example, mm-hmm. that I always look in the mirror and say, hey, what's happening? And I was training a Dutch Shepherd, and Dutch Shepherds are smart, so he was training me. So I was like, <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. And then I was thinking, mm, I need to change it up. So I, I, I still use the clicker. The only negative side of the clicker, that's the pattern of from the trainer that clickers him. So yeah. always the same timing. So I always uh, try to learn people one seconds, two seconds, mm-hmm. three seconds, click, and then every time change it up or Correct. wait longer. Yes. Uh, what what you what you say? I know like uh, people like uh, the dog hit the odor, make a three sixty, and sit and look at the handler. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> With a clicker, you can train it in a couple seconds. You can train it out that the dog is looking at the scent. Correct. So that's the power of the marker. Yeah. So um, yeah, that is that's the powerful. The only thing what I um, what I always do and what's always the, the the rule when I throw the toy from behind, um, if you have a dog and you always need uh, at, at at the end uh, at at the back of the dog mm-hmm. uh, to throw the, the reward, the, the, some dogs are changing uh, the they go around around the uh, around the sand to see you. Yeah, and I say listen. You cannot use this system anymore. You need to do something else. So yeah. use a marker, for example. Yep. And what I also seeing, uh, and especially I, I know a lot of uh, a lot of American schools they learn it like that. Is uh, that's the system you know? I think Cameron he's walking on the leash, and when the end of the leash, they walk really fast back, mm-hmm. really fast back behind the dog, and uh, really like really nervous sp- uh, speed, like really fast. And that is also a cue 
that the dog is going to sit. Mm -hmm. So I was like in a program like oversee and the dogs are like, uh, the dog was uh, sniffing something and it was a distraction odor. And then I see the, the handler do the, the really chase of, uh, the, the chasing fast uh, back to the dog and speed up to go behind the dog. And that dog was really acute to say, fun, hey, you need to go to sit. And I say, listen, I know the system. They train that as a cue, go back to make the, that the client see, hey, the dog is going really fast to the sit, but it's all on you. But it's a distraction odor. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, uh, topic, but I always uh, change it up. And I remember when I was my first time uh, in America, I trained a dog for explosive. And uh, I think one, one time or two times a year, you know it better, the FBI is coming uh, to use the proxides explosives. And then the military, the police, everybody can join uh, to do in training sessions. You know mm -hmm. that? Yep. Yeah. So I was there and that was years ago. So um, at that time, uh, not a lot of people used the clicker. And I remember they said, Wes, Wes, you can send your dog, but you cannot reward your dog. And I was like, why? They said, yeah, it's dangerous. And I see the big conks, what they normal <laughs> throw at the dog. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know what you're saying. I say, but so I sent my dog like really nice off leash, perfect indication. And I was waiting. And I push the bottom. I, st I stand from far, and the dog's coming back. And I throw the reward, and I just, and I and I see some police handlers looking at me, and is looking who is that young Dutch guy was doing because his dog coming back and reward the dog. And I see really um, some other other handlers is pulling the dog away, and the dog is uh, pulling his legs out and um, to say no, I don't want to leave the scent. And I was like, whoa, those guys need to. Uh, understand how to work with a clicker <laughs> yeah i mean it gives a really good advantage uh specifically in situations where uh it's not safe to reward the dog at or near where they indicated so you know and, and it's obviously it's a common excuse i hear a lot of times where uh, various trainers or handlers will go oh yeah yeah marker training I can, I can totally get behind for bomb dogs but you know i don't use it for drug dogs and i'm like well odor's odor and signal is signal. Classical conditioning is classical conditioning. So it really doesn't matter what system. And I know what they mean. And what they mean by uh, why they say it's okay for bomb dogs is because, of course, the safety aspect. But again, my comment, especially nowadays with fentanyl, is I want the ability to have the same thing. You know, you can, like I said, I have no problem with rewarding it source. You know what you're doing and you can maintain it. Good. Do it. But at the same time, I want for me and, and the people I train, I want that versatility for a situation just as you described where, you know, you are, you're not able to be there. Or the other limitation I see at times is the only way to reward a dog in that direct way is you have to be behind it because if you're facing the dog, many handlers, I'll, I'll say, you know, reward your dog now. They go, well, I'm facing my dog. I can't. He'll see me give the toy. And I'm like, okay, well, then that means you have a limitation now, right? If you if you can't be in the position behind the dog, but yet you still need to, you know, reward the dog. And, you know, you, so, again, you know, there there is no wrong way. Both ways work. And I advocate uh, both are sound systems. But, again, for me, I hone in on handler skill and the ability to translate that training for the handler, a new handler, and avoiding some of the pitfalls that a handler may go through by, and don't get me wrong, one of the, if anybody's been through my school, 
the whole first week I'm yelling at you for not reaching, don't reach for your toy before you give your mark. Because oh, yeah. it's the same thing <laughs> yeah, will happen yeah. to them too. So, you know, as much as I, as I say, but, uh, you know, obviously I'm there to prevent that. Um, and of course my running joke is, you know, I use e-collars, but I use e-collars on the humans. And I will shock the shit out of you if you reach for your toy. <laughs> I will put it on your arm and I will shock you if you reach for your toy. It'll train you really fast not to do anything besides give your your mark, whether it be clicker or, or audible or whatever. So, no, I, this is and this is good conversation. This is the kind of stuff that listeners need to hear. And it was similar to what I did with Jerry Bradshaw and, uh, and uh, Pat Stewart from the Canine Paradigm. We had a fun discussion uh, going back and forth, you know, debating some of the same things we're talking about now. So... Um, you know, and there's a lot of confusion sometimes or, pre, or people have like a preconceived notion that it has to be one or the other. You have to be, you know, red or blue. You can't be in the middle. And, you know, you're a clear example of being able to use both systems very well and use it for the dog in front of you and do what's best for that dog. I just want to take a quick second and welcome to our show, one of the new sponsors here at Canines Talking Sense. It's an application for your phone called Search Dog Timer or SDT. You can find Search Dog Timer currently on the Apple App Store. It's not yet out on Google, but if you have an iPhone, you're good to go. What this app does, it allows you to take a picture of your search area. And in that search area, you can place up to four icons or four markers where your odor is at and what the odor is. And as your dog searches, you can just tap the button on your screen when the dog makes a find. And it gives you a timestamp of when the dog has located that target odor. What's unique about this is it gives you information on search duration. How long did it take your dog to go from beginning its search to making the first find, uh, going from that find to the next find, and it lays it out nicely on a photo. And when you've completed your search and you hit complete, it becomes a photo in your photo reel where it shows you where uh, your, your hides are at and when your dog actually found those specific hides. So it's a fun little app to kind of use and to document your search duration and search times. And again, you can find this on the Apple App Store called Search Dog Timer SDT. And we hope you like it. I know the developer of this app would love your guys' feedback, input. Uh, As with any app, they're always able to update, uh, make changes, uh, you know, do things that we're looking for as end users. So again, I hope you guys enjoy it. Go check out the Search Dog Timer app on the Apple App Store. Canines Talking Sense webinars. You have heard from many of our guests. Well, now many of them are offering numerous webinars through our webinar platform on the Ford Canine website. All webinars can be purchased for $25 each or you can join the Ford Canine Club channel and get two webinars a month for $25. Ford Canine Club channel always has one new webinar as well as one of the episodes from the past so you can enjoy again. Go to www.fordcanine.com webinar. Are you looking to become a trainer in sport detection? Ford Canine now offers the CSDT Certified Sport Detection Dog Trainer Level 1 and 2. Each course is a one-week immersive course to help you in learning sport dog scent detection. 
No matter what sport program you choose, our class can help you and your future students have fun and enjoy the world of canine scent detection sports. Not only do we help you learn the training aspect for dogs and handlers, but we also cover import aspects to help you grow and market your current dog training business by now offering this new service of scent detection to your clients. For more information and to see upcoming classes for the rest of 2020, go to www.fordk9.com and click on the Courses tab. Show your support for Canine's Talking Sense podcast and Detection Dog Pride. Go visit our new online store where we offer all kinds of hats, shirts, mugs, detection dog tools, and much more. Go to www.fordcanine.com and click on the online store and get your new canine gear. Do not forget to check out our store often as we add new products every month. And some situation, uh, what you say, you can't do uh, that reward system. So I always say a lot of times people think, okay, I, we just need to train the dogs. No, it's not the dogs. The dogs knows what to do. Mm -hmm. It's more the handler. And especially with the indication stuff, uh, people can train the indication perfect, like the perfect freeze, the perfect sit. But if the handler makes so many mistakes about uh, getting the toy mm -hmm. or um, throw one time uh, the toy at, and the dog's looking at and, and you can start all, all over again. So I always say the best handler knows exactly, okay, if I use a marker, this, this dog is really good experience. So I wait longer. And to be honest, especially with narcotics dogs, I work operational for years with narcotics dogs. I search in uh, inside prisons, for example. Mm -hmm. They always hide odor when they don't know uh, on difficult places, for example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, why I don't uh, make too much pressure on the shit indication, for example, in the beginning, and I train uh, to make contact with the odor and to sit, for example. And that's what I train with a narcotic dog. So they can get a click to make contact with the odor and the perfect indication, sit and look at the odor. That's the, the, two, the two systems. It doesn't matter how much experience my dog has. I keep changing um, the step two, make contact. And step four, I always say that is the, the, um, the sit indication. So mm -hmm. I work with four steps of the indication. The first step is like the first contact with the scent. And you see, I call it a whiplash. Mm -hmm. and, and even you can hear it. That's, uh, you, that's the first contact. Yep. with the odor it can be like outside from far with the dog they go close to the sand they try to work out as close as possible when they're on the sand you see you see some some dogs licking some ears some uh, some, do some dogs turn the body and at that moment you get a little duration and then you see the uh the learned behavior like the mm -hmm. sit the freeze or the, uh, with search and rescue dog for example the bark yeah um the learned behavior is important with an explosive dog, of course. Then you focus more on the sit. But the narcotics dog, I, I keep uh, rewarding the make contact with the odor and the sit. Mm -hmm. So I set my dog, uh, Dex, in operational. And he's searching. And uh, there are small rooms. So in one second or so two seconds, I see in this cell block, there's like narcotics. Yes or no? He's really good experience. Mm -hmm. I hear it's changed and I let him go. Then... I see he's going up, he's looking up, and um, 
in the begin, um, I, I, it's not allowed for the dogs to jump on the bed in the begin. Um, because some, uh, some facilities say, okay, uh, no, but if the dog makes an indication, uh, we do the bed off and then you can search it. That's more, um, yeah, that's some facilities work like that. Mm-hmm. So as I give him a go, so he can go, he jump really against the wall and, um, I wait, I say, okay, listen guys, see it's left really high in the corner and he keep jumping, he keep jumping. And then he makes the sit. I wait. He keep jumping. So he show exactly where it is. Yeah. Um, if it's like on the uh, on the lower place, and he makes an indication, and the guys are uh, want to investigate, they say, "I want to look." Where I say, "No, no, wait." It's uh, a lot of place, a lot of stuff, a lot of mess on the uh, uh, inside of that. Um, um, yeah, things where you can store some uh, some clothes. I want to know exactly which one is positive. Otherwise, you need to investigate everything, and then. Um, yeah, we're, yeah, that costs a lot of time. And then you see the power, uh, from the dog and especially the, the clicker, because I reward the second step when I do the nose on it. And then he shows me where it is exactly. And with a codex dog, it's brilliant because I, I, I can so say so really close it's there and they look at it and say, yes, it's really working. And years ago, my narcotic, my narcotic dog was searching and I do the closet open and he was sitting. And I, and I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of stuff in there. We need to investigate everything. So uh, even with narcotic dogs, what I say, I learn more even when the, the, the indication is perfect to make contact with, uh, um, yeah, with, the, with the target owner. And you see in operational settings, it's brilliant. Yeah, no, and it's funny you bring this up because we were having a discussion today. I was actually out training with the local Air Force base. And we were talking about, you know, some of the dogs, you know, so I, you and I have been talking recently, I have that new wheel that I got from Pat Nolan and the wheel has a lot of versatility to it and it's a lot of fun. And then you were showing me some, uh, really nice, uh, metal boxes and, uh, I, I use boxes and of course I change it up. So I'm with them part of the time and in conjunction with what I just said there at the same time, there was a post recently where a handler was talking about how. He see his dog basically does like a nose punch a lot to the odor. And, you know, it, it created a conversation that we had today, which I said, a lot of times people have to remember when you're using a box with that port, that hole in it, or a wall with that port in it, because that's the, probably the most common uh, type of vessel that people use for that initial training is a box with a hole or a wall with a hole in it. And, and there is positive to that. But one of the things that you have to also remember is if you use it a lot, you then teach a dog to basically nose punch. You're teaching them to go in the hole, go in the hole, go in the hole. And when there's no hole there, that behavior is still there because it's triggered by the odor. So the dog gets to odor when there's no hole there, they're still used to doing that movement, go to, you know, bump, bump. So in some cases, that's fine. That works. That's a, a good thing. Uh, with bomb dogs, as we were talking about, <laughs> no, not yeah. so much a good thing. And I was telling them, I said, you know, look, you know, that if you want to start with those boxes or do some stuff with those boxes, totally fine. Um, but I would recommend changing to either the wheel or, or a drawer type system for a box or whatever, just so you don't create so many repetitions of nose in a hole, nose in a hole, nose in a hole. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you have a dog who then, when there's no hole there, will still punch. And then that's not a desired thing to have happen. And again, it depends on what you're training a dog to do, whether it be bomb, drug, 
uh, cadaver, arson, etc. You want that, uh, you, maybe having that punch is, or that nose touch is valuable. But like I showed him today, I said, look, so on the, on the wheel with the cans, I will only mark when the dog's nose is touching the can. And it's a much calmer uh, behavior when it's on a wheel or in a, in a closed uh, type thing versus a hole because the dog, it, it can't move. It just has to touch. So it doesn't punch as much. So I just tell I was showing them, here's an option to help you prevent that nose punch. But if you're somebody who likes it, well, then use a box. So that tool, when me and you were talking about, you know, I like it and I'll probably use it and have it for, uh, you know, another toy here for my training facility. And, uh, but I always talk about, you know, be aware of what you're using and what it might cause that you're not paying attention to. And that's one of those things that uh, can typically happen. So in like in your case, having the dog go touch that source using a box with a hole and it's nice. Uh, when you're having a, uh, a dog, you don't, you don't want to kind of bump the hide or do much with it than using one of the other tools, whether it be the scent wheel with the cans on it or a lineup or some type of, you know, vessel that just has the per- perforated holes or whatever that helps a dog just touch is, is another way of doing it without it doing it violently or, or with these really nice high drive dogs, you know, banging their faces in there. Sometimes we've, we've all seen it, the dogs with their scars on the front of their nose from hitting the box too hard. So, um, but this is all good conversation so people can understand uh, some of the different tools and why we use them and why we do it and why we use a certain method of communication versus others and so forth. So, And what you say, it's like um, 100%. So with my narcotics dogs, I want to check exactly where they show me. Like I, So I use the pressure, like make contact again. If I'm training explosive dogs for Kenya, for example, or other uh, a normal, like a normal explosive dog uh, that going like... Um, to really to operational work uh because for example like cargo screening uh what you see in a cargo settings dogs are like more uh tough they are stronger they can jump against the pallet it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because they don't they don't uh, they are not going to use a pressure plate on the cargo otherwise it's a uh, blow yeah, up already up anyway, before yeah. shipment yeah so i say cargo uh, screening dogs are different than normal id dogs so when i train for example an id dog i learned that uh, he need to have respect for the object that can be like the ball. So a perfect indication. Mm-hmm. Or I, I like more because otherwise I train the dog to learn to sit on tennis ball, for example. Mm-hmm. So I learn the dogs to indicate on a target disc. It's like a little disc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen you do and it. I le- and I learn them indicate, indicate, indicate. If that goes well, and what you say, it's funny because uh, it, also when green dogs are coming in, if the odors on the ground, a lot of dog will go down. Yeah, green dogs will scratch really fast. Yeah, if the, if it's a little bit higher, you see the scratch is not coming so fast because the dogs uh, is, is try to work out the scent. Uh, so I can really perfect cl- uh, click for that moment, um, and a lot of dogs will uh, uh, sit down by by itself. And when the target odor is really high or the tennis ball. Uh, you see a lot of dogs jump against it and stand there. And that's like really good. So I also say, uh, yeah, if you have a dog that does the punch, look also uh, uh, look also uh, the training equipment because yeah. some equipment is not good. So if I have some, uh, some luggage, for example, that make a sound. So what you see, a lot of dogs, they like the sound, so they're going to uh, push it or uh, move it. Uh, so I, I remember when I um, uh, when I train explosive dogs in another country, 
and it's starting to train young dogs. And uh, a little box was uh, not heavy, so they, they, they push it. So the guy said, this box is not good. Uh, we're gonna, we, we need to buy a different one. So they buy a really heavy one. And I say, listen, guys, I also, when I have a green dog, it's a trial and error. They will scratch. They will push. But I need to train it out in the beginning of the, of the training. What you, what you do now, you buy new equipment. But if this dog is coming uh, in real operational, what you say, and it's like a little box, not heavy, it's on the ground, he still will, will push against uh, the material. You not learn what, and then it can be like dangerous. And uh, I don't know. I think you see also the the movies from in, on uh, internet that an explosive dog is uh, checking an object and he make contact with a box, and then he blows up. Of course. So I always say to people, um, yeah, it's better to face it in the begin. And I know some materials don't work uh, in the begin. So I I will learn the dogs with a higher odor to make the indication goes well. But then if, if he understand that correct and he, and he knows I not push, I need to go back and sit, then uh, it's also the time to do a little box on the ground and that you have respect for the object. If you don't have it, um, yeah, maybe one time in operational, uh, yeah, it can, it can cost your life. So yeah, look out with that. But yeah, training equipment is really important. Yeah. And and, you know, this conversation is kind of going into another area that I feel uh, people want to understand. So here in the States, we've always had a mentality that one dog can do a lot of things, and they can. And we, we know that the dogs have skills in a lot of areas. But what I think a lot don't get to see, because, of course, you know, we're separated by the Atlantic Ocean, is that in Europe, many of the detection canine programs are very specialized where, you know, you brought up like search and rescue, for example. So here there's a lot of dogs that do lie, find, cadaver. Uh, it's the same dog. And, and I was trying to relate to them, you know, the value of that specialized dog, the dog that is just, let's say, just cadaver or just lie, find. Uh, narcotics, narcotics specifically for dogs working in jails versus dogs working like on the road, um, explosive dogs, explosive dogs that search people versus explosive dogs that do this, or uh, even the human uh, scent dogs, the dogs that work human scent under 48 hours versus the ones that do longer than that. Talk a little bit about how, uh, why, you know, Pretty much throughout Europe, dogs are viewed much more as a specialty in detection versus just doing everything. And, and I'll give it the example. I'll use, let's say, cadaver. Cadaver in Europe is broken into you have blood-only dogs. You have the dogs are like more archaeological-type dogs that do bone, you know, very old-type uh, settings. And then you have the ones that search the wilderness. So kind of expand upon why or what the viewpoint is uh, over with you guys about specialty when it comes to detection work? Yeah, it, it really depends on the country where they're working. But yes, here in Europe, uh, especially also uh, the law enforcement dogs, they are like really focused on um, one discipline. And because they say we put so many training hours in that the discipline that it will be like perfect, and we know in uh, in other countries they do more disciplines with the dogs, but uh, yeah, we want specialized dogs. So 
if you talk about uh, uh, a normal standard police dog, it's like a uh, uh, patrol dog. He will bite, he will track, um, but he will bite the su suspect uh, at the end, for example. If they say, okay, with that dog, <laughs> um, if you need to search a, a person or a child, it's not the best thing. And uh, the normal patrol dog, uh, they do a whole program, a special on obedience, on uh, on patrolling, on bite uh, uh, pr uh, protocols, for example. They say, okay, no, we don't want that. So what we want, we want a tracking dog that can really track. Like the only thing what he in his mind is tracking, and can be like uh, hard surfers in the city. Uh, like, I, I, are you ever been? Yeah, you've been in Holland before. It's like um, it's really urban. It's really uh, a lot of people living there. So if a suspect is gone, or you need to have like uh, a really good tracking dog that can do the job. So then uh, that's why I hear the law enforcement say, okay, no, if we, we, we do specialized dogs, so the we have the normal standard police dogs, for example, uh, but for some cases it's better to send the specialized dogs. And you see the difference because what they say also about uh, the special operators, and I work with them also in the States, for example, they do like, they don't have, uh, if they're going operational, uh, the, yeah, you know as best, you can have like, you don't can have like three dogs, for example, in uh, a, a bite dog, a tracking dog, uh, and an explosive dog. So the special operators, they use like all the disciplines. But if you look here, uh, some special units, um, they only do biting. Yeah. Uh, but on a level, <laughs> yeah, really high, and they have different protocols. Uh, but they deploy them in one type of areas of or uh, this situation or this threat level. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. And it really depends on the countries. I see also some explosive dogs. Uh, they're going out only when a threat level is so high. And the guy comes inside, and it was the first time I see it. And the dog was checking so uh systematic go low up like not mm -hmm. like the search walls what you see on the internet that's nice but in real objects and i was saying whoa and you say yeah everything what goes behind me you need to have like no explosive it needs yeah. to be clear i said okay i understand and you say if we um i have also another explosive dog where we do normal random checks i i i i let them that dog searching that dog is searching like normal like a normal dog you say, but this is like a, a, a different call out. Uh, if we have a really threat level, I take the other dog. And I was thinking like, whoa, this is different. Uh, so that's why the specialized dog is more coming in. And with cadaver, um, if you have, uh, for example, uh, you're looking for uh, a murder case or uh, mm -hmm. some old, uh, you don't have like a, a free running, uh, we call it revere. Yeah, yep, yep. like, going out uh, the search. Uh, yep. Yes, yeah. a dog is speed up, run every direction to uh, to go for a, a larger sand pool. Uh, no, then you want a dog that is searching systematic the ground or like for blood, for example. You want a dog that search uh, search systematic the ground and not running like an idiot around to get an easy find. Yeah. Uh, so so that's why, and especially with water search, um, yeah, they say also some dogs, cadaver dogs, can search on land, but they cannot search on water, for example. Because if you look at the water search, when you're searching on the boat, it's completely different discipline. Oh, yeah. So that's why um, they make more specialized dogs. As what I say, some trainers have um, more dogs 
but they are trained in one type of thing. And yep. um, I know a dog can do more things, but that with if you specialize a dog, if you invest all the training hours in that discipline for that threat level or for that operational job, yeah, you see the difference, to be honest. You see really the difference. But if you are like a normal police handler in, a, in the States and, uh, for example, uh, they need to do a car search for narcotic, it's crazy if you call out a specialized dog um, uh, to search one car. Sure. 100%. Uh, that patrol dog can search that uh, that car if there's any narcotics inside. So I say it's really uh, it's really important how you deploy the dogs and which situation. So that that role, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and it's <laughs> it's moving detection into more of a like forensic uh, type of work, and 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 I'm and I'm seeing that uh, grow more, which is a very good thing. You know we. It's important to these dogs are magnificent animals and they have amazing skill with their nose and we really need to expand upon that. Uh, and then by us focusing on a particular skill, uh, we're really able to maximize what that dog can do and be really good at it. And then in some cases, or adversely in some cases where the dog just does everything and it does some things good and some things not so good. So like you said, at the end of the day, it still just kind of depends on what your need is. But it, it's good to see, and I'm, you know, one trying to share the message that, uh, you know, those that could utilize or focus on a specific or specialized skill with a dog, definitely do it. You will see better results and uh, uh, b- better success when you're using your dog uh, when you have that that good specialty or that that specific skill set that you have that's a little bit or that dog has that's a little better than some of the other dogs that are more generalist. So it's, it's a coming thing and I'm seeing more of it and I'm going to do my best to kind of help bring that along. And on, on that topic, you actually specialize, um, in something very unique. That's not, you know, wildly popular, but it is growing, which is that conservation detection dog. And you fly all over the world. Um, yes, but I, I need to say one little topic about the thing. What's really important about the specialized dogs, because, the other thing is like what I've seen, and I work now, uh, what I say, uh, more than 14 years operational settings. Uh, what I've seen, if you have a dog that go every day to search operational, you will see um, you miss some of the training. So I know some countries, they deploy the dog all over the time. And when it's coming, the year certification, they pull the dog back and he going to train for three weeks, really tough on the certification rules. A lot of dogs, if they send out every time on the street and they don't have, uh, um, of course, the handler have odors. So we hide the odor um, just to reward the dog. But it's different height than it's realistic, for example. So you will see, and I tested with my dogs, I tested uh, with different dogs, different units. If you send the dog out all over, every day out, every day out, you will see um, that it will cost uh, quality. The special operators dogs, for example, they train all the time to get that call and then they will go. Uh, Every operational, after that operational, you need to fix something or you need to train better or um, yeah, stuff like that. So that's a really important key. And and I think, and we tested also with some law enforcement, because I say, listen, you hide the odor between the box under something, 
But if they smuggle it, it's inside of the box. Exactly. It's sealed it up. It's yeah. the stuff inside. It's different. And we did a test. And I say, why from all your narcotic dogs, the two dogs, they are brilliant. They are genetic, so good. And I see it when I was, I, uh, if you call me and say, Wes, I want nine dogs, I can train it. Yeah. But with the moment where I can select the drive in the beginning, the one thing where I cannot uh, test in the beginning is how they discriminate and generalize between different odors. So, uh, but that's another topic. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, but that's also very important. So some dogs hit everything. Bam, they're so genetic, so good. They, they're the diamonds. But the other dog is searching how his handler is hiding it for 90% during operational time. And uh, when he have one time is weak uh, with his instructor, they hide it all the time the same and um, six odors out. And I come there and I say, it's an explosive dog. Why there are six odors out? They say, yeah, it's, it's certification standard. And I say, so I don't care. In real operational, there's not always so many odors. So about the specialized job, it also depends on how many times you deploy the dogs because that's how more time you deploy the dogs uh, how more you need after that refresh training or like really uh, training how they hide it or how Correct. you see it in operational. No, and, and you brought up a, a point. I just did a podcast with the guys from NYPD and we talked about just kind of like we are talking about, which is, you know, training. People try to do, and I'm in a broad term here, odor recognition while they're doing their, their training. They try, By putting out all the odors or putting out many odors in a training environment, they're doing their little checklist going, oh, look, we did this odor and this odor and this oh, odor. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> so so they, they're trying to do two things at once, which doesn't really make sense. And like we talked about is, which is why we have the odor recognition lineup. So if you want to do multiple odors, do your odor recognition lineup. Let the dog hit the odors and then do it with me, me and you're just talking about right now, which is do your operational. This is where you can yes. have the one Completely odor. Different. Yeah. yeah. And and people here in the States haven't really, uh, it's growing quickly, thank goodness, but they hadn't really embraced the odor recognition aspect uh, as a training element. And by doing that, you are able to not only document that your dog is, you know, hitting those odors that is trained to detect, but you're also able to do it against other non-target odors. There's proofing odors there. There are distracting odors there. Things like that that are that are present. And your dog is only indicating to your target, which is great. It's great for your record keeping. It's great for showing the dog is proficient. And then focus on the operational aspect, which is you know how you conceal the odor, how you're you're smuggling it in a sense, or putting that team in that real world situation and having them figure out: is there something there? Is there not something there? And instead of trying to push it all together and call it one training session, which makes really no sense to the dog, or like you said, the dog just figures out, you know, your, you know how you are hiding stuff and they're using it that as the, the way to learn versus facing what the smuggler is doing to you or the bomber is going to do. So, no, great, great point to bring up because, you know, that's not happening enough. What, what you say also, it's also lo- logistic. It costs me more time to create a real height than just height four or five odors in and out at hundred percent. So lazy, lazy the, dog training. Yes. <laughs> but especially with HRD, for example, I place it days, weeks before, maybe, uh, I, uh, I hit it under the ground somewhere and then let it age. For example, if I do it the same day, 
the dog pick up my track, pick up my uh, uh, smile, the ground is different. Of course, I can make distractions with that, but it's not realistic. Um, but also, uh, I've seen also like uh, last time I was in another country and the instructors come, uh, Wes, yeah, I have a box and it's inside, there's like uh, odor. And I say, okay, that's brilliant, but your box is new and you're in this area <laughs> yep. have, uh, like is like uh, full with uh, cargo odors. Your box is completely new. I say, I can hide, uh, give me a new box and I hide that box and all the dogs make the perfect indication on it. <laughs> I say, yeah. the ID was good, but you need to have a box that smells the same like the environment. So yeah. logistic, it costs more time. You cannot hide so many odors. No, you can't. So that's why you need to do the line up or the descent yeah. discrimination test, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and I and again, that's something that you know uh, has been embraced in Europe for a long time is the scent discrimination aspect uh, because it, it's valid it, and it's it has a scientific level to it, which is again. You know, the word I like to use many times is calibration. If I had a tool, it shows that my tool works, right? So, you know, the uh, scent discrimination or odor recognition test is that way of demonstrating that. It shows, yes, in this condition with these other things that uh, have technically no value, the tennis ball hidden or, the, you know, in the lineup or the piece of food or uh, female in heat swab or whatever, you know, level of distraction you want to put in your lineup that the dog only gives you the indication to the target odor truly validates that the dog knows what it's doing and it knows those odors and it's in a very equal setting. And then you test the team and how good they are operationally by doing operational stuff like you talked about. And it takes planning and it takes time. And it, yes. And yes. you have to invest that. If you're going to be a dog handler, invest in these things. This is what you, this is your damn career. You know, you put, put time into it and, and it's, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of listeners who do sport, you know, if, if you same kind of concept exists, if you make all your highs very easy and it's a very happy go lucky win, 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 when you go to competition, it's a little bit more difficult and you haven't prepared yourself. And so no matter what you're doing, always work on preparing yourself for what you're actually going to go do or go get tested on. And in some cases, the test is real life operational and some tests it's a, it's a competition. So you just have to make sure that your training matches uh, what you're going to go do or how you get evaluated against. So it's it's an important thing. So, so back what I was saying. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a, you brought up a great point, so I have no problem sidelining. But the uh, you do something really unique and cool by doing some of the conservation stuff, which is super difficult with a lot of different things. There's parts of it that are to me that you know, a, a dog finding another animal scent is kind of a natural thing in a way. But describe, you know, tell the listeners what you do with conservation dogs. And, you know, like I said, I know you fly around the world doing it. So talk about what it, what it is and some of the things you guys train dogs to go locate and the success of the programs. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, well, it's it starting years ago. Um, it doesn't matter if you have, for example, like poachers or traders, what you see, uh, traffickers, what you see is that they traffic, for example, they traffic everything. So um, a trafficker can do like wildlife parts. He can traffic uh, narcotics. He can traffic weapons. It doesn't matter. They do it just for the money. In some countries, I get a, I get a call one time and he say, Wes, uh, can you help me with something? I say, okay, yes, of course. Say what you need. He say, I need to have like an explosive dog. I say, okay, yeah, we have that. But you need to detect also ivory. I say, ivory? He say, yes. 
I say, okay, uh, that's possible. And I say, why? He say, um, normal what they do, the poachers, in, in not all the countries, but some of the countries, really dangerous to be like a ranger, for example. When they kill the elephant, when they take the ivory, they burn it, uh, they, uh, they hide it under the ground somewhere uh, if they don't have time. And they go uh, to their house, and when the police or uh, other law enforcement comes in, they say, hey, listen, we don't have evidence. Where is it? We don't have it, for example. Yeah. Um, and they later later will take the, the ivory. But the ivory costs money, of course. So what they do on that time, they use an ID on it. So it was the first time when I see that, and I was like, okay. Uh, but also um, with some roots, they... Um, they want to make it difficult for the rangers because the rangers or conservation work don't have the money. Uh, they are uh, they got a lot of money from NGOs around the world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, oh, I go in, in conservation and I make money. No, you don't make any money, no. for example. It's like really, it's, the, it's my passion to do it. But a lot of small charities, they do amazing work, but they don't have all the money like law enforcement have. Mm -hmm. And if you look, uh, it's one of the most traffic the wildlife part is, to, is even more uh, money than cocaine, for example. If you have like pangolin scales, it, wow. it's way more than cocaine, for example. And they smuggled more. And uh, I know also like a lot of uh, border force, law enforcement, they got money to fix for, um, to get money for narcotics dogs, uh, currency dogs, but not wildlife dogs, for, uh, for example. And they use our ports. Um, they use it a lot. So yeah, I go off, to off topics, of course. So I go back. So <laughs> I, I start training uh, my explosive dogs on ivory. And he deploy uh, to a country where it's not safe. And I train two other dogs for it. And then, um, yeah, I was in, on the Dutch television to say about the dog that attacked ivory. And then I was involved by a Dutch lady that lives in Indonesia. And I say, Wesley, can you help me? Uh, to train dogs to detect like different type of animals that they are smuggling here. I say, yes, of course. So I train one type of dog and to, to detect like uh, primates, different primates, what they smuggle, turtles, singing birds, uh, tiger. Uh, they smuggle everything, yeah. uh, almost everything what lives. If one species if, uh, uh, is not anymore there, they take another species. Because some somebody in Vietnam, somebody in Japan say, it helps against uh, cancer, for example. Yeah. Or as a man, you can do it the whole night, for example, yeah. <laughs> to, to hold it uh, correct. Yeah. And it's 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 bullshit, but they believe it. And then they kill all the um, the tigers, for example, because they believe in it. So that's really dangerous. So uh, then I starting uh, to train one dog, and then um, yeah, now there was a big NGO coming, and even they got uh, money from even the, the America. As country, they do a lot for conservation thing, but also to uh, to go against wildlife trafficking. So a lot of projects they fund by the American government, for example, and that's a really good thing because they also know what I say. They're not only traffic; they also not only trafficking the narcotics. They do everything for money, and there was a, also a study in Kenya. They used um, the money what they get from the rhino horn from the ivory to do uh, terrorist activity. Uh, to get money in it, and that that's a dangerous topic. Yeah, I'm starting to set up a uh, canine program in Indonesia, 
And now they're working like uh, six dogs. We did like more than two years uh, training there, the handlers. And now when everything goes back to normal, we fly there back again and we can uh, train them two uh, years more. And I can train two dogs more. We set up another unit in another place. And uh, yeah, I'm involved in um, to train dogs for Africa, to another country. So uh, I even now have two dogs in training uh, and I deploy them uh, worldwide on trafficking roads uh, when the borders are going open mm-hmm. uh, to help assist law enforcement uh, that don't have money or budget for uh, wildlife trafficking uh, to search for it because a lot of times they just check it by x-ray or they found it by accident for example mm-hmm. but yeah you know uh, just the same like me dogs can do the same thing so that's the the wildlife trafficking and the tr- the, 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 the tracking after poachers, that's what we do. Uh, but we also train the dogs, for example, to, to search for um, uh, otters, for example. So uh, in in Holland, they bring them back uh, in the uh, in the country. Uh, you see them more, so we need to search for the otter. Uh, we indi- indicate the scat, for example, or we need to find the target species yeah. for monitoring projects. Uh, and that's really interesting scenario because it, I need to train completely out of the box. I learn a lot from it. I need to search on the water, on the boat. I need to search on a cano. And I did, uh, yeah. And of course, I work in the past with uh, HRD dog and I, uh, I learn a lot. But this is like completely different topic because the animals all the time on the move. Yeah. Uh, so it's really uh forced me to um yeah to learn more about and uh, i learned a lot during that project so yeah we go all around the world and every time they come a new project um that they say west can you train this uh so yeah in holland it's not it's 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 new uh but if you look at new zealand or australia yeah. they use conservation dogs uh, really uh, because of biosecurity so that's like uh, they really uh, have high standard. They have really good handlers. They uh, do a lot uh, on that side. But in other countries, they uh, it's new. They don't know uh, how to use it, for example. So, yeah. Yeah, biosecurity is, is growing quite a bit with do- the use of dogs. And, um, you know, as you were describing all these things, I have a question, which is, um, what would you say is the most unique and or difficult thing that you've had to deal with when training a dog in conservation? Yeah, what I say, what's difficult is, for example, if I search and I need to search a special target species, uh, SCAT, for example, they see it. We as human, yeah. we, if we can see it, we say, yeah, it's here. But what if, uh, and of course we train it out in scenario that the animals is in one place and then he goes to another place that he don't indicate on the place where he sipped before, for example. Okay. But what's, what if, if you search the whole day, <laughs> yeah the whole day and there's one place bam you indicate there and you go to investigating and they say we see nothing i say no we don't see visual things sure but there, there's odor why is searching the whole day and why you make sure the perfect indication and then a moment you bring for example uh, a heating camera you you see the mark and it's like completely fresh yeah. <laughs> uh then people believe in it. Sure. But if you don't have it, for example, it can be like difficult. And also, if I sit on the boat, Cameron, I sit the whole day on the boat um, and I'm looking really on my on my dog. It's really after one water search, uh, uh, four hours on the water, 
my head. I'm so tired mm-hmm. uh, because I need to look at it because you cannot get the perfect indication. With narcotics and all the discipline, they find it. But on the water, uh, they're going around the ship. They go, you need to look and you need to say, wait, go to the left, go stop, stop the engine because otherwise the water uh, is blowing the, uh, the yep. sand away. Yep. So it's really difficult. You need to be there really on top on it. And uh, if you search the whole day and there's nothing in your mind, I say, always say there's a little devil that's coming. Psst, psst, yeah, yeah, it need to be here. It need to be here. So there's a lot of blanco areas. There's nothing. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, is my dog searching? Yeah, I see <laughs> my dog is standing at front of the ship, but is he searching? So, yeah, I learn, uh, I learn a lot. And also especially about to train and to prepare the, uh, the settings because I cannot set something up like a conservation work really fast and then train it like a normal how I train my explosive dogs and narcotic dogs. With this, it costs so many times. And after one operational day, I need to train also a lot of out. So I have uh, little yak terriers. You know, you know them yep. in America, yep. I think, as well. Eh? So I work also with a lot of hunters. And I say, listen, um, uh, people that hunt for fun. And yeah. I say, oh, a yak terrier, you will uh, kill everything. I say, no. And look at me. And my uh, terrier is at front of the ship. And he sees like an animal. And he look at it. And then he say, no, I keep searching. <laughs> and I look, <laughs> what? What? Normal, uh, you will go to kill them. I say, no, we train it out. Uh, but it depends how you deploy the dog and also how you train. Because what you say, we do the same with the lineups. We train different target species out. Uh, what's related to the animal, for example, yep. uh, because you want to find that target species and not like different one. But um, yeah, especially if you see like, uh, now you see also more coming in Europe, um, invasive plants, for example. Oh yeah. Uh, they can destroy like a whole uh, by the bi- biodiversity. Sorry for yep. my, uh, sometimes my English. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, if you see what they can do, yeah, before that I was doing it, I was not aware about that. Uh, but I see now also in American, there are like uh, every everybody's in the summer. They go out with the ship. Uh, they go from one lake to another lake. But if you bring an, uh, a mussel, for example, mm-hmm. what what's not belong in the other lake, you can change up the whole uh, biodiversity in uh, in that in that lake. So um, I see now even also in America, they have dogs to check out the boats, for example, for invasive species. Yep. So that's like. Um, yeah, completely uh, new also here in Europe. But uh, what I say, in, in Canada, in uh, Australia, they do it for years, like for years. It's like an uh, interesting topic, yeah. No, it, it, it's really cool to see dogs used in that very unique way. And, you know, it's always made me wonder, you know, obviously, you know, we're t- teaching a dog to follow another animal type odor or a species of some type. Would you say, let's say, for example, training a bomb or drug dog, is it easier initially to train one of the dogs on a species of animal or type of organism just because it's natural to them? Or is it just, it's about the same? If you if you look at the wildlife trafficking, it's more, they like the scent, for example. Yeah. But uh, the dangerous is you don't want that the dog indicate, not the target species, for example, fresh meat. Uh, we, we, because our dogs deploy also on, on, on borders mm-hmm. and local people. Uh, and if you've ever been in Asia, you know, like people, they're driving with little scooters and they have like uh, 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 the scooter full with meat, full with eggs, chickens. Every, everything is, 
is there on a little scooter, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't want that my dog, even when the genetics, it's more interesting to, ser- to search, for example, tiger bone because it smells nice for the dog, but you don't want that they indicate on different kind of meat. Yeah. So on that side, it's more difficult because you need to train it really out of the dog. True, yeah. But with imprinting, they, yeah, they love it. Or they love the scent, of course. Sure. Uh, and uh, you see also, uh, when I reward my pointers, for example, and I throw the ball, they don't take the ball. They stay by the odor. Yeah. Because they love the odor. When I click them and I throw the, the toy away out of the scent pool, they take the toy. So that is the only thing. What I, but of course, you have that also sometimes with narcotics dogs. Uh, yes, it's uh, it's easier for the dog in the beginning, but your distraction with other animals, yeah, it's really high. Other meat is high. It's more so uh, on that side. Yeah, you need to train a lot of things out. Uh, but yeah, if you have like real um, a part of an animal, of course, if I work a lot with uh, with uh, hunting breeds, they like the scent. Yeah. 100%. But you need to train also different sets out of the dog. Yeah, no. So the, it's, it, it starts off easy, then gets way more complex yes, from there. Yes. On the, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, that's that's how it goes. Yeah. yeah no, it, it's, it's it, it, like I said, it's all super fascinating, and there's so many ways that the, the conversation can keep going. But I, I know you have things that you got to do. So, but before I wrap it up, so what are some things that you, because like I said, I know you travel and I know things have changed a little bit with COVID. Do you have any events coming up in the next, let's say, six months to a year that you're doing or that you're going to uh, be teaching at or going to? No, no, no. At, uh, at the moment, uh, we tra- I train a couple uh, explosive dogs for projects. So we do that, of course. We have our own uh, conservation work. Uh, we have our normal narcotic screening. But when the borders are going open, and I'm uh, I'm I'm a little bit happy about uh, when the borders are closed because you know I got a I got a son. I was say so you I have your, him, your, uh, your new your boy that you get to spend time with now. Yes, yeah, so I, I I've seen a lot, so I'm lucky about that. But when the borders are going open, oh yeah, <laughs> I, uh, your people people can see it on uh, on the internet because we go all over the world and have really interesting projects uh, that keep going or things what we are going to do. Uh, some things I cannot say uh, now, sure. but yeah, I will travel a lot and I specialize what I say with my own uh, wildlife trafficking dogs. We're going to do a really good jobs, really amazing work. And I'm um, lucky to have this kind of projects. But yeah, it's what I say. Um, I hope the, the countries are going more. I can now travel, but then I need to stay two weeks. Yeah. For example, <laughs> in Caratana. Yeah, I don't have the time to stay two weeks. Two weeks, uh, yeah, exactly. Going yeah. through quarantine and then being allowed yes. to go work. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, we are busy to preparing dogs for clients, and we're busy with operational. And uh, this year we teach a little bit, but uh, not so many because we are more busy with the other sides. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're gonna see what's going on. But uh, yeah, we're busy enough. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and 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 you and I will definitely be. We, we always talk about it. And uh, one of the next times you come out here to the states, we will do some type of a uh, joint seminar and training. And 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 even before that happens, you know, um, maybe we can work out something where you do one of your lectures. We can do it as a webinar format. And uh, oh yeah, on the percent, yeah, yeah, and we can offer that because again, I I say this in a lot of podcasts. You know, people get to hear things on our podcast. 
but seeing it in a webinar or a PowerPoint format really helps, you know, seeing videos and, yes. and hearing you talk yes. about things. 100%. So yeah, we'll definitely set something up like that. So in the future, the listeners here right now will know that obviously like I've been doing with the webinars, I'll, me and Wesley will put, uh, maybe we'll do a multiple part webinar, you know, you can have multiple ones that kind of, you know, piggyback on each other and uh, uh, share a lot of the information that you have and, and that's very valuable for others to learn from, from your experiences and what you've done. Um, it, just like our conversation started off with, with all the different ways of, of doing, you know, the odor association and imprinting. So uh, a lot of listeners, if you want to find Wesley, his business is Scent Imprint for Dogs and his name is Wesley Visser. And what I will do is I will put the his contact information in the show notes so that way you can reach out to him, ask him questions if you're really interested in especially the conservation aspect because that's a growing field, and, and Wesley's been doing it for a while now. As you guys can tell, very specialized with it as well. Again, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Uh, we did this at a very uh, time difference. It's morning for you and late evening for yeah. me. <laughs> so yeah. the, uh, but I'll I'll let you get on to your day and and go uh, work some dogs and get them ready for the the jobs they have coming. And I know you've got a few for me here in the future. So yes. Yes. I'll let you uh, get back to work on those <laughs> and have fun there. Um, again, thank you for your time for coming on. You're welcome, and thanks for the, that you invite me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I will train your dogs now, Cameron. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good, man. All right. That's good. All the listeners, thank you for listening to Talking Sense, where it's okay to be nosy.